You have been very critical of the central government's decision, which prevented Jakarta Governor Anis Baswedan from implementing a lockdown in Jakarta, which is the epicenter of the COVID-19 pandemic. Baswedan untuk memperlakukan karantina wilayah di Jakarta ditolak pihak pemerintah pusat. The president says that a lockdown would cripple the country's economy and even lead to social unrest. The government wants to avoid panic buying and unrest by having uh, the stimulus and economic measures ready uh, before large-scale social restrictions are enforced. Uh, there has been a battle between local governments and the central government on implementing a lockdown. Para kepala daerah saya minta tidak membuat kebijakan sendiri-sendiri yang tidak. Uh, some local leaders have pushed for a lockdown and even began only to be forced to halt those actions by the Widodo administration. President Widodo finally declared a public health emergency and stated that the pandemic is a natural disaster. Large-scale social restrictions have been implemented in several regions. When you have a full lockdown, Pak, uh, the government has to take responsibility to provide food, logistics, uh, guarantee food supply, set up special kitchens to feed those who need it, and also implement a security curtain around the lockdown area. Would the Widodo administration have the funding, uh, have the organization capabilities and logistics to even implement a lockdown, uh, say, of the capital? Ibu Srimuliani. Our Minister of Finance uh, said weeks ago, if I'm not mistaken, funding is available, but logistic question mark. That's the voice of Faisal Basri, a senior economist and founder of the Institute for Development of Economics and Finance, or INDEF, an independent research institution. He is also a faculty member of the University of Indonesia specializing in political economics. So the government realized the limitation because firstly, we don't have this kind of mechanism uh, in the past and lack of data available. And thirdly, I think dealing with logistic system, uh, we have Bulog, Badan Urusan Logistik, but this agency focus only on uh, rice, not only rice, but mostly focus on, on rice. So we haven't been tested to implement this kind of mechanism, you know, uh, never happened in our history. Uh, secondly, I think we have to save life first. So as far as we can, and I think we have also strengths. What I mean is social solidarity. I used to be the coordinator of uh, humanitarian response for tsunami in Aceh. So we didn't uh, let the government do alone. We organized, you know, huge national uh, mobilizations of uh, participation uh, all over Indonesia. So if you ask me capacity of the government, I think they have, but very limited. But combined with uh, social solidarity, I am quite optimistic we can pass through this crisis 
although you know every money has to sacrifice uh, to do that. Mm -hmm. But however, part the the government, the central government refused to implement such a lockdown. So you believe that the central government could coordinate with the governor of Jakarta to implement such a lockdown and and potentially keep the epicenter of the pandemic controlled. The problem in this country is, you know, coordination, comments, you know, lack of coordination, lack of comments. So what I propose to the government uh, issue a kind of decree to create a kind of command like we are facing war, you know, commander in chief uh, and no normal anymore. So this is extraordinary situations. So we have to create a kind of uh, basis to do in extraordinary situation. And until now, it seems to me that the government doesn't want to issue this kind of thing. They are busy to choose, you know, uh, lockdown or limited lockdown or social distancing, physical distancing. So dealing with this kind of gimmick. But the most important things is how a single command exists to mobilize all our resources together in more effective way. So uh, from my point of view, too many institutions, you know, and this in, the, in deciding what we call it pembatasan berskala besar, maybe similar to lockdown, but uh, the implication to provide basicness to the people, minus this one, yeah. the, uh, uh, the obligation of the government to provide. So they, they, they try to use different terms to not to use the obligation of the government to provide uh, basicness to the people. Mm -hmm. And so it is not clear from agency point of view, mechanism and so forth, so on and so forth. That's why you hear every day, every minister say what they want to say and conflicting each other. So I said many times this is in war situation the comment should be clear followed by all indonesian by all bureaucracy in every uh, level of the government so this this is missing now until now yeah yeah so you need a strong central command and one voice also in dealing with the pandemic rather than and one um, more thing mm -hmm. uh, minister of health decide the status of the uh, local uh, level. In order for a region or district to implement the large-scale social restriction, locally known as PSBB, they must meet the following requirements. First, the number of cases or deaths caused by the coronavirus have significantly or rapidly increased in the area. And second, the data must be supported by epidemiologists regarding that region or district. It seems to me that the most important indicator is number of death. So if number of death is still low, you will not get the status of big scale uh, limitation. So it's crazy, you know, this is decided by Minister of Health from one 
one indicator only. Mm-hmm. So Palangkaraya cannot be uh, yeah, they were denied. Uh, yeah, implemented cannot uh, implement this kind of thing like Jakarta. So so you need refused a... by Minister of uh, Health. Yeah. So maybe in in layman's terms, you need um, uh, a certain body count, uh, a minimum death uh, number to actually qualify. Otherwise, yeah. you're 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 unable to qualify for the special status for the lockdown. So it's light. not the prevention that is, you know. Yeah, scared. yeah. Uh, but do you think if the government did implement a strict lockdown, that they could carry it out and there wouldn't be social unrest, say in Jakarta? So the key is combined with social solidarity, and I just read articles in Compass written by Sulfikar. Amir, you know, he proposed micro lockdowns, something like that, limiting uh, the scope. Let's say, for example, kelurahan level, or maybe we can extend to kecamatan level and social solidarity under kelurahan is still there, controllable, and I think a lot of room for. Uh, social participation. So I think I agree that there is a risk of you know crime activities and social crisis, but combined with uh, social participation from you know religious leader, local leader, and so on and so forth, we can uh, handle it. I see. Because we have everything. The problem is how to distribute, how to allocate. Uh, I think there is no lack of rice. There is no lack of other basic needs. Everything relatively available. So the issue is how to distribute it. And maybe not all kelurahan or kecamatan in Indonesia implement a micro lockdown. Maybe let's say, for example. Let's start with 25% of kelurahan or 25% of kecamatan and then we see uh, within a week maybe we can extend to 50% and so on and so forth. So the organization should be more manageable in lower level of government. Mm-hmm. With such a plan to implement a lockdown, would the Indonesian military be required to help with logistics and and supplies and coordination, or or do you see that without the help of TNI? Until now, I think no need to do that. You have to remember what I am worried now is our focus bias to urban area. Two third, almost two third of our total poor people uh, below poverty line is in rural uh, rural area so uh, you can see every day you know including president jokowi distribute sembako you know but all to urban okay urban should be focused also but don't forget near poor and poor people mostly in rural so i think with huge coverage of help, we need participation or improvement of military and police. Ya, nanti kita lihat bagaimana uh, BPJS Kesehatan akan bisa sustain dari sisi keinginan untuk memberikan 
jasa kesehatan kepada masyarakat sampai dengan akhir Desember kondisi keuangan BPJS meskipun sudah saya tambahkan 15 triliun dia masih negatif hampir sekitar 13 triliun Indonesia's Healthcare and Social Security Agency, or BBJS uh, Kesehatan, which administers the government's national health insurance program, already facing a um, 2.3 billion US dollar deficit prior to the pandemic. Uh, now you have a flood of new patients burdening the system, which was fragile to begin with. However, what's interesting is that the government has been forced uh, to come up with a workaround to ensure that the national health insurance program can be uh, implemented for COVID because government regulation number 82, 2018 on health insurance stipulates that healthcare services are excluded from the BPJS health premium benefits at the time of emergency or extraordinary circumstances. Now, the coordinating minister for human development and culture, Muhajir uh, Effendi, uh, has instructed BPJS Kesehatan to ensure that COVID-19 patients uh, can get access to medical services, uh, given that many hospitals have secured arrangements with BPJS. What's interesting, Pa, is there, there may be some clarity when it comes to BPJS covering some cases of COVID-19. But what's really interesting is that BPJS participants who were treated for suspected COVID cases, but not yet confirmed, may find themselves not covered. Uh, so my question is, um, you know, how will Indonesia pay for the healthcare going forward uh, with the pandemic while already having a 2.3 um, US billion dollar deficit? The government just borrowed four point something billion US dollar, you know, issuing very long term uh, government bonds. The maturity, uh, 50 years maturity bonds, it's only half of the total debt, you know. So the money is there. And regarding also uh, the fact that healthcare expenditure per GDP in Indonesia is very low, you know, I think one of the lowest in ASEAN. So we have to make sure that all health facility in Indonesia, health insurance, uh, public health insurance like BPJS should uh, react positively and uh, actively to help uh, the victims of this virus. So I think it should be clear from the first time that normal situation cannot apply in this uh, extraordinary uh, situation. Mm -hmm. So don't worry about this kind of things because, again, allocation of government budget to health uh, expenditure is also very low. This is the beginning to enter new Indonesia focusing on human uh, development and we have to protect uh, lost generation because of COVID. Mm -hmm. Is that correct, sir? that the president has allocated a large sum of funding to battle the pandemic, but only a small portion of that has gone to health care, while a larger portion of that has been allocated to stimulate the economy. Yes, to a certain extent. Let's say, for example, 
the government increase the allocation of PKH, you know, mm-hmm. Unemployment, program yeah. Keluarga Harapan increase by 25%. And the allocation for person increase by 25% and number of people also extended to, okay, let's say 10 to 15%. But that's not because of COVID. According our medium-term development plan, RPGM mm-hmm. 2000 and 2025, it's already there. So the, the government claim that this is part of COVID, but in fact, it's not. So uh, if we exclude this kind of things, you know, it seems to me that for help is very limited, mostly goes to social safety nets. So social mm-hmm. safety nets and for business. I see. Interesting. Health is very limited. But do you see that as being a problem? Yes, I just uh, received, you know, message from France, director of hospital in Tangerang City, uh, Depok, facing very serious problem uh, dealing with materials, uh, protection, clothes, and uh, so on and so forth. Because why? Because the way the government distribute is like, you know, normal situation uh, using uh, bureaucratic uh, level from this level to that level and so on and so forth. I remember when I chaired a tsunami humanitarian aid, we can, you know, uh, write a, a letter to Vice President at that time, pa. JK, we need this kind of things. Okay, do that without using usual or normal procedures. So it seems to me the source of the problem is in Ministry of Health. And the person in charge is Minister of Health. So I, I suggest Pak Jokowi replace him soon. He is a source of the problem. He is part of the problem. He is not credible anymore. So he's the loser. How can we win the war with the chief of uh, mission is the person who has a lot of problems. Yeah, there's been many uh, conflicting statements coming out from the very beginning from the Ministry of Health and um, and other ministries as well. Secara singkat, asumsi makro yang tadi disampaikan oleh Bapak Presiden, pertumbuhan 5,3, inflasi 3,1, nilai tukar, nilai tukar 14,400, suku bunga SPN 5,4, dan harga minyak 665, lifting 734, dan lifting gas 1,000. The 2019 state budget, which came out just at the end of last year, uh, came out from parliament with agreement from the government, uh, had growth, Uh, 5.3%, inflation 3.5%, uh, the rupiah exchange rate to the US dollar uh, was 14,000, it is now uh, 16,000 or more, oil per barrel was listed in the state budget as $70 per barrel, it is now maybe around 20, it lists the tax ratio at 12.2%, uh, these are just to name a few, uh, but all of these have changed drastically uh, since this budget came out a few months ago. The OECD 
said in early March that the pandemic would cut only 0.2% growth for Indonesia and bring it down to, say, 4.8. That was early on. I think that's changed drastically. Uh, they said that this cut in growth would be based on if Indonesia took a strong public health response. That hasn't really happened. Uh, Minister of Finance Sri Mulyani cut growth expectations to half of what it was, down to 2.3%, and maybe even down to 0.4% in a worst-case scenario. The World Bank says that growth in Indonesia would fall to at least 2.1% if the pandemic in Indonesia is under control by June, which, in my opinion, does not seem that that's going to happen uh, anytime soon, and they'll, they'll miss that mark, that deadline of June. Uh, some experts say that Jokowi should be grateful that he even gets 2% growth for Indonesia. Pertumbuhan ekonomi akan berada pada tingkat 5,3%. Inflasi akan tetap dijaga rendah pada tingkat 3,1%. Seluruh gambaran perkiraan indikator ekonomi makro di atas menjadi dasar dalam penyusunan RAPBN. Can you give us an economic outlook for Indonesia based on how you see the current situation with the COVID-19 spreading across Indonesia, based on what you see now, Pa, uh, what's your economic outlook for Indonesia? So it's very difficult to forecast, you know, fully based on the ability to control the virus. So we haven't seen so far clear strategy, clear path to uh, win the coronavirus. So maybe the peak uh, for Indonesia will be May and June. And as you said at the beginning of this dialogue, mudik factor. Yes. Uh, it's very Massive. crucial one. Massive, uh, very yes. crucial one. We have lack of everything in center of mudik. Uh, Jawa Tengah, especially Jawa Barat, you know. Mm, so Barat, Central Jawa, Jawa West Jawa, uh, yeah. Jawa Timur, and Yogyakarta is is little bit okay. The peak will be July to August, and it will create very slow recovery. So uh, the economy will recover very slowly, and we uh, lost the momentum to. Recover our economy as soon as possible. In that uh, situation, I think we will have uh, recessions, uh, contractions to our economy, meaning uh, negative growth around minus one point five until minus two percent. This is the sorry, really, extreme really. case. So extreme case, uh, negative growth. Negative growth, and I think uh, the World Bank stated similar things. Uh, worst case scenario will be minus based on economic intelligence unit baseline is only one percent you know uh -huh. uh, and again and again we haven't seen the clear of the strategy and steps to deal with the crisis uh -huh. if the situations under control uh, let's say for example we are very optimistic June the growth rate will be, according to my prediction, 1.9%. If by June it was under control, is that what you said, under sir? Under control, the growth rate will be 1.9%. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, the center of pandemic 
is in Java, right? Java contribute uh, 59% of our GDP. So to heavily rely on Java, create, you know, drop because of Java is epicentrum, mm-hmm. especially Jakarta, yeah? epicentrum for the crisis. So outside Java is still okay, but because the contribution is very small, they cannot help, you know, the drop of Java. Mm-hmm. This is the, the, the lesson learned also for the future of Indonesia. We have to build, uh, we have to develop more aggressively outside Java. Mm-hmm. Not just gimmick, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actual uh, execution on the ground. You mentioned that was the worst case. Do you have a best case? Or, or that is the best case if we get things under <laughs> control by June? Before the before, uh, pandemic, I predict the growth rate of this year is only 4.9%. Much, much lower than the, than the government's prediction of 5.3%. Yes, even in depth, uh, lower than me, 4.8%. So we are in declining trend. And we know exactly the source of the problem. The source of problem is inability of financial sector to finance uh, the real sector, you know, our credit to GDP ratio is less than uh, 50%. How can we run faster with this kind of conditions? If you compare credit to GDP in China, more than 200, and almost all ASEAN countries is only exceeding 100%, we are less than 50%. And the government never touched this issue. What the government knows is borrow, borrow, and borrow. And we have to borrow more because our I-core is very high. I-core? Oh, sorry, sir? Incremental capital output ratio, meaning that if we would like to add one additional output, we need 6.2 units of capital. Vietnam need only four, Malaysia three, and so on. So we need more capital, more investment to create one additional unit of output. So the government never touched this. Mm-hmm. So the source of problem is here and there is no issue of this. I just uh, give my presentation through online this uh, afternoon before NASDAQ fraction, you know, and I said that this is not relevant, relevant to discuss omnibus law anymore and when we have we have to focus on the real issue how to reduce i-core because if we can reduce i-core from 6.2 to 4.5 we can push growth until seven percent without additional uh, debt and so on, so di tengah pandemi COVID-19, DPR menyetujui pembahasan RUU Omnibus Law dalam rapat paripurna hari Kamis sore. Majelis the controversial Omnibus Bill has been in the House of Representatives for several months. The Widodo government initiated the bill to improve the business climate, attract investment, and thereby increasing jobs and economic growth. Some groups, however, have protested the bill. Labor groups claim that workers' rights will be reduced. 
Others criticized the bill for saying it will allow the central government to have more power over the regional governments. Is the lower house still continuing to push the omnibus bill through, despite the fact that the economy has changed drastically as a result of the pandemic? They said to me, uh, they just met coordinating uh, minister of minister of economy. Uh, asking them to speed up the process within next 100 days. I so see. this is good momentum for them to pass the law, you know, mm -hmm. it's crazy one. Will it be good for the people? No, I think. So uh, many initiatives, you know, including new draft law on mineral and mining, uh, new draft law on Minerva, it's crazy one. This is the initiative, the law initiated by uh, DPR. Mm -hmm. And they will pass soon also. Why? Because big uh, minings, especially coals, the contract will end this year and until 2022. So they need extraordinary effort to protect uh, their right as soon as possible because otherwise they have to follow the current law, based on the current law, they cannot extend anymore the, the, the concessions. And you know, uh, almost all uh, inner circles have concessions, my mining concessions, especially coal concessions. Mm -hmm. Interesting. These mega projects are part of the strategic plans of President Joko Widodo. Regarding some of the planned mega projects from President Widodo, recently the Deputy Coordinator of Infrastructure and Transport in the Ministry of Coordinating Maritime Investment, Ridwan Jamaluddin, stated that there is no confirmation over the infrastructure projects due to the pandemic, as this is also involves foreign investment and manpower and investment, say, from China. Widodo has made some progress with uh, infrastructure development in the country with projects such as new airports, dams, and toll roads. Uh, he said he has even bigger plans for his second term and intends to continue massive infrastructure development projects. Just a few examples of some of these mega projects. Uh, first, of course, is the plan to move the nation's capital from Jakarta to East Kalimantan. The move to the new capital would cost approximately just over 32 billion U.S. dollars, and the state would only fund 19%, with the rest coming from public-private partnerships as well as private investment. Uh, another project is the high-speed rail from Jakarta to Bandung, which was agreed to in 2015, had a very late start and is, is ongoing now, but is the bill for that, I think, is around just over uh, 5 billion U.S. dollars. Uh, the president has other plans for increasing human capital, vocational education and training, uh, and preparation for uh, Industry 4.0, also reducing the deaths of mothers and stunting, uh, that's around 200, over 230 trillion uh, rupiah development of infrastructure and supporting digital transformation, 
also integrating social aid through overall social protection schemes, toll roads, power plants, and other infrastructure projects. Uh, how will the pandemic impact President Widodo's plans for all these mega projects? It's a very interesting one from political economy point of view. We are facing crisis and some costs will be quite high under the burden of investor or partners. So from political economy theory point of view, they will try to make sure that big project will continue because the cost is very high to them, two times higher compared to benefit. If we can pass the crisis, will extraordinary measure, including reschedule the project, the big project. So there is a push, you know, to continue from rent seekers point of view, the partners of foreign investors, they will try to continue. Is sorry, uh, the, because you said, you, sorry, you said that the cost is too high. You mean in political capital or in actual some cost? You know, they they already invest. You know, mm -hmm. uh, they put the money already there, and the cost will be high if the government decide not to continue the project, disappear the money. So that's the cost they calculate is very high compared to the benefit they will get if the virus finish. They don't get enough uh, money, enough benefit compared to the costs that they have to pay because the sunk cost is there. So the incentive to make sure that the government secure the existing project is very, very high. It's against the logic that under crisis, we have to reschedule the mega project, right? Because we can delay the project, but we cannot delay the death. Mm -hmm. We cannot, cannot. So that's why I didn't try very hard to collect data and information about this. The data come to me. Friends inside the government report to me, give me the data. And one of the decisions already done is Pertamina should stop the project in Jakarta because the government asked Pertamina to move the headquarters to Kalimantan Timur. They will create PUMN building center, something like that, and Pertamina should be there. Mm -hmm. And we don't know the process of tender. There is no process of tender. They distribute the project. That's why they need new law to make sure they can do everything they want without proper process. But do you, so, so you have to create public concern to create enough a push to pressure the government to decide by using credible reasons and credible base factor. So you see that the government is committed to going through with uh, moving the new capital despite going under uh, a pandemic. You can read latest news in Tempo magazine, the head of the Ibu Kota Baru development is Minister of Planning, Pak Suharso. Pak Suharso said, no problem at all. We will continue the process. Uh, he said like that, no sense of crisis, uh, no rescheduling. Even rescheduling, they don't want to do that, rescheduling. So, yeah. But what will happen? Project financed by China will be in trouble. 
China will uh, reconsider all project all over the world because they are facing very serious problem domestically. The recovery of the world economy is not soon, will be very slow. If China ready to open factories, the market is not ready yet. Yeah. And the ratio of the debt in China, government debt, central government, uh, local government, state-owned enterprise is very high. They don't have enough room to continue all projects all over the world under OBOR. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And finally, they will select the most proper one, the most feasible one, the most important things, you know, the priority. And I don't think Indonesia is the priority for China. Mm-hmm. Uh, because Indonesia is under construction, uh, let's say below 50% realizations. So they can sacrifice this. And it is the lesson learned also for Indonesia, not too much rely on China. Mm-hmm. And so what about the high-speed rail from Jakarta to Bandung? What do you think the fate of that would be? Ah, my goodness, a lot of money already spent for that one. It's very difficult to find out the alternative investors, you know. But if I have to decide, I will scrap this project and the rest of uh, funding will be allocated for speed train Jakarta-Surabaya. Mm-hmm. But do you think the government will continue with the high-speed rail? And cause a lot of the funding comes from China. Do you think yeah. China will pull back on some of the funding for the high-speed rail? I don't think so. Uh, a lot of problem. Again, as I said, what is the priority for China dealing with Indonesia? If we have, you know, future, because this project is not a healthy project, right? A high-speed train, Jakarta, Bandung, you know, never happened in other countries, you know. High-speed train, competitor is airlines, right? Yeah, exactly. So we have a lot of alternatives, Jakarta, Bandung. And from many perspectives, let's say, for example, the station, main station in Jakarta is not in Gambir, in the central of the city, but in Halim. And in Bandung, is not in the uh, existing train terminal, but in Gedebage. This is not speed train project. This is the property project. Property project. Property project, you know. They will stop in Mokhtaryadi, uh, Lipo, Property, they will go to, you know, Kedebage, New City, Sumarekon, owned by Sumarekon, and some others. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a train to uh, two new destinations rather than two existing destinations. That's right. If you would like to use speed train from Jakarta to the central city of Bandung, you need almost similar to the existing one because you have to go, let's say, from Tamrin to Halim, you know. <laughs> And then yeah, yeah, exactly. from Gedebage to central Bandung, create a lot of trouble to you. You will not save time. Uh, we covered a lot of topics uh, and issues, pa, and also the difficult road ahead for Indonesia. Are there any positive stories that we could end on? Is there anything going well? Firstly, I think a lot of, there are, there are some at least optimism. Let's say, for example, uh, there will be new sector, new activities emerge from the crisis and they will be much better in the future. For example, health sector, pharmaceutical, 
and manufacturing, dealing with manufacturing, we are now, it's not part of global supply chains. Mm-hmm. And global supply chains heavily rely on China, collapse. And all manufacturing companies in the world would like to set up sub-hub, at, uh, at least not uh, the uh, main hub. And this is the opportunity for Indonesia. And But we have to response with clear industrial strategy. So focusing on parts and components to be part of global supply chains, you know. And that's why we have to build new types of industrial estate, more thematic industrial estate, and allow SMEs from all over the world coming to Indonesia without restrictions. Because, you know, if we allow SMEs producing parts and components to Indonesia, definitely they will move 100% the factory from their own country to Indonesia. And secondly, they will not bring workers. They will use workers in Indonesia. And they will try to find out the partners in Indonesia, SMEs in Indonesia. And it will strengthen our industrial structure, not like uh, now on. We, what, what we are facing is a uh, hollow middle, you know. We have big manufacturing industries, but the number is very small. We have millions of uh, SMEs, but the contribution is only 10%, you know, and missing in the middle. So uh, I think new types of industrialization needed to strengthen industrial structure by allowing, you know, it's impossible that SMEs from abroad will hurt SMEs in Indonesia. No, this is wrong. So uh, I think, uh, and then we have to distribute the industry also to outside Java, you know, especially Kalimantan and Sulawesi. Sumatra can be done by themselves, I think. A lot of initiative already. And we have a lot of resources as an input for industrialization, and we have a lot of workers. They, they will not go to Vietnam. It is very difficult to find out workers there, scarce of workers, because they are getting an uh, aging population. Yeah. So a lot of things can be done. But, and one more thing, we haven't exploited our maritime resources. Yes. <laughs> yes. My goodness, yes. Indonesia have a lot of potential to enter uh, the golden era of 2045. We thank pa- Faisal Basri for providing his thoughts and insights. You can follow Faisal Basri on Twitter, at Faisal Basri. This episode was written and produced by Sean Corrigan and Tanita, researched by Veronica, edited by Risky, and graphically visualized by Daniel. Thank you for listening.